Hey everybody, welcome on the show. Today is Friday, September 1st, 2017. Uh, my name is Jonathan, I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Tiffany, Elliot, Doug, Gabby, and Erica. Hey everybody. Hello. Hello. Hi, welcome. Hello. So today our topic is the brave new world of electroceuticals and medical implants. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, technology that is implemented or uh, becoming to be implemented in the pharmaceutical industry uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, research that's being done elsewhere. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the makeup of these electroceuticals and what they actually do in the body and uh, some of the differences, I think, between how the pharmaceutical industry is approaching this and how, like, independent researchers are approaching this. Um Elliot, I wonder if you might be able to give us kind of a brief overview from your perspective of how you understand um, this. Yeah. So basically, the um, the use of electricity um, or electric fields, uh, electromagnetic fields um, in in health, it's kind of a bit of a controversial topic. Um, throughout sort of history, it's been um, it's been postulated by several people in the past um, that there were some sort of uh, field phenomena relating to um, the way that the body functions. And um, like, for instance, the the work of Alexander Gowitch, who um, who basically came up with the idea of, of a, a sort of morphogenetic field whereby the body... Um, the way that the body works is it almost follows this 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 blueprint to say um not to butcher it too much um but but since then there's been lots of research um highlighting the the sort of electrical aspects to the human body aside from the the nervous system um and it was at the start of the uh, 20th century that uh, electricity and electromagnetic fields were being used in medicine um, but unfortunately, at that time, there was quite a lot of quackery. <laughs> um, mm. There were there were researchers who, who were basically coming out, or physicians who were who were coming out with crazy technologies that there wasn't really any evidence that they actually worked. Um, and so they were saying, oh, you know, like buy your magnetic belt. And so mm. they sell all of these products to people, and a lot of them didn't actually work. But at the same time, there were also lots of other physicians and researchers who were coming up with technologies which did seem to um, show benefit. They did, um, you know, help people to to sort of treat their diseases. Um, but then what happened was oh, I can't remember the research. I can't remember the researcher's name. Uh, it was oh Flexner. So so this guy called Flexner basically came along, um, and he made a critique of all of the the different kinds of technologies that were common at that time, um, and he basically said that this is um, nonsense. What we should do is we should come up with. Uh, or we should only use pharmaceutical-based medicines, um, and so from that point onward, um, it, it, it was it was put together in a something called a Flexner the Flexner report, 
Um, and so ever since then, all nutritional therapies, all um, sort of electromagnetic therapies, they were sort of eradicated um, from modern medicine. Um, and it's in- interesting to note that this guy Flexner, he was actually backed by uh, the Rockefellers. And so they sort of jumped on this and um, and started only prescribing chemical-based formulas, um, which they could really measure. Um, and so up to de- up till today, you know, this is the way modern medicine still sort of functions is is by the use of pharmaceutical uh, products to treat diseases. Um, but there, there's also been a lot of research in the past, which has sort of been neglected and almost suppressed in many ways um, that have u- used the, the use of sort of um, microcurrents and electromagnetic fields. And they've been shown to have real good benefit. Um, and so I guess as a brief overview, you know, my thoughts on, on the topic of this show is that um, it seems from a lot of the research that um, that a lot of these sort of electromagnetic based therapies are, show real, real promise, you know. And but the problem is, is as we'll touch upon, is that the pharmaceutical industry are sort of jumping on this and turning it into into something very sort of. Uh, it almost seems sinister in many ways. Mm. Um, so the first thing to touch upon is that many of these uh, therapies that utilize electricity, they're non-invasive. So it means there's um, very few side effects and the side effects are relatively benign um, and they're, they're very safe. And, and they often um, involve the use of sort of microcurrents and micropulsations um, from, from outside of the body. And it, there's no uh, incision, there's no direct trauma to, to the body whereby you have to put something inside the body. Whereas what we see when we look at the pharmaceutical industry's methods, it seems like they're, they're coming up with, with products whereby um, these electrical devices are actually implanted into the human body and can have um, various side effects that we don't really know about yet. So, mm. um, yeah, I don't know if that's okay. Yeah, yeah totally. That, I was curious because you uh, talk, you know, during our shows so much about electricity in the body and uh, the mitochondria and how it affects that. And so I was curious about your perspective on that. So that was cool. Uh I guess on the pharmaceutical perspective, or maybe not specifically, but on the kind of like, let's say there's a good side and a bad side. And on the good side, people are really delving into energy work on the body. How does electricity come into play with this? How can you stimulate different things within the body? And then I guess on the bad side, there's people who are maybe not taking it seriously or they're like kind of, they've conflated their own product. I'm thinking specifically of this, documentary uh, the body electric uh, about electroceuticals and before the show we were talking briefly about it and you were saying about how they um they were taking an approach that was potentially very uh damaging um the 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 pharmaceutical industry no i'm sorry the uh, the the in in the film we were talking about basically uh hammering the body with a bunch of different frequencies and that it would pick out Oh yeah, you know, that was, was me. What was? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Dad. Yeah. That, that no, it would pick no, out what I, was useful, uh, and, and I yeah. think that is that's like the dangerous approach. 
Well, I don't know that it's necessarily dangerous. I just I I thought that their explanation was a little bit weak. And I I guess just for a little bit of background, we we watched a a, a documentary for their, uh, preparing for this show uh, called The Body Electric. Um, I forget what the subtitle is on it. Um, but uh, it was basically. Um, you know the the idea of using um, electricity in in ways of, uh, of healing, and um, it wasn't it didn't really focus too much on the on the pharmaceutical aspect of it, um, but it was showing kind of some some of the uh, older technologies that people were using, like uh, Elliot was talking about, where you know some of them obviously seem a little bit quacky. Um, the but the they they focus kind of um, a lot on um, a particular product. Uh, and maybe I won't name it just to, you know, avoid a lawsuit or something like that. But um, and it, I don't know. I mean, you know, there were impressive um, studies done on it where they had kind of like independent studies done and they were um, uh, placebo controlled, all that kind of stuff. And um, they did actually they were getting very impressive results with it. So I, I don't know that it was necessarily dangerous or that it wasn't, um, um, you know, on the up and up. But my my main complaint was that the 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 explanation of it that you know they they the the unit basically involves like ear clips and you put electrodes on the earlobes and uh, it it runs a, a a weak current kind of through the brain and the guy said well we just put a whole bunch of frequencies in there and then the body just kind of picks out the ones that it needs mm-hmm. and I was like well wait a minute <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very scientific explanation for what's going on here and it it also doesn't right. sound right because we're exposed to frequency all the time and we know that many frequencies can be quite damaging. Um, not to say that they're using any frequencies that are damaging, but obviously the body doesn't have the ability to pick and choose which ones it's going to use. So I just, I thought it was kind of a weak explanation for what was actually going on there. I see what you mean, sure. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't know that the, the, the technology is actually damaging. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it from the work that they've done, like the, the studies that are done on it. But um, uh, yeah, I was just kind of like these these uh, this explanation just doesn't really um, doesn't really wash with me. And what technologies are they using right now? What is being studied? Where does it go? Do we have an idea? Well, well there's, there's lots of different stuff out like there. Implantable yeah. medical devices like pacemakers, or they have these. Uh, Vagal nerves, vagal nerve stimulators to treat epilepsy and major depression. They have the cochlear implants for deaf people to allow them to hear better or hear at all. So, I mean, this technology has been around for a long time, but I think now that it's going into a smaller nano size. Yeah, yeah. So all those that technology is like the size of a cassette tape. Whereas now the research is going into making it the size of a grain of rice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think generally, yeah, when we say electroceuticals, it's a it's a fancy sounding word. We're just talking about using electricity in the body in, in a, you would say, some kind of implantable form, right? Because this doesn't necessarily include uh, external electrotherapy. Well, well yeah, that's the question. Them either, it does. Mm. Yeah. It kind of does. Like it, it seems like it's a catch-all term for using any kind of electrical stimulation, whether it be inside the body or out. At least mm-hmm. that's that's what I've gathered from what what uh, we've looked into here. Um, whereas it, it would, you know, electroceutical, like just the name sounds like it's more like an implantable, like pharmaceutical industry uh, derived product. 
Well, the field yeah, is called bioelectrics, right? And then so this electroceuticals yeah. is just like a subset of the bioelectric field. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. Se- it seems like, um, you know, that there are – it's almost like there's two camps on this, like we've kind of said before. Um, and so you've got the one camp who acknowledges that the body is is – um, almost primarily, I mean, it, to, to be fair to the documentary, you know, it, it touched on some interesting concepts. Um, it could have gone a little bit deeper, but, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, but it did touch on, on like, for instance, the work of, um, Dr. Harold Saxon Burr. Um, it also touched on, um, Dr. Robert Becker's work, who showed that, Essentially, the the um, I've, we've spoken about this before on the show, but how much of the the tissue in the body um, is is actually acts like a semiconductor, mm-hmm. um, therefore it can it can modulate um, the current of electrons um, flowing through the tissue, um, and that there is things like um, injury currents. So, for instance, when um, when an injury happens in the body, um, there is a shift in voltage. Uh, to a negative voltage, and this is responsible for um, for regeneration of the tissue. And so, um, the you know the the people who were interviewed on on the on the documentary, you know, they they did quite quite rightly state that um, it is elect- electricity which precedes chemical changes. So it's it's not simply molecular in nature. It's actually more fundamentally electricity, and it's it's from those electrical changes or even electronic changes, you could say, um, that that the chemical messengers and things actually occur. Um, and so that that was a good point of the documentary. But uh, as I said before, it seems like there's there's sort of two camps with this. There there are the researchers or the groups of people who acknowledge that the body is is really an electrical system, um, and and seek to to increase the health of of, of people by um, by finding different ways in which we can utilize electricity um, to sort of increase the communication in the system of the body. Um, but on the other hand, there there seems to be this um, this movement in in pharmaceutical industry whereby they have almost like jumped on the fact that okay, you know, the body's electric, but <laughs> but they now what they they kind of want to do is yeah, as we've said, is is basically in, in <laughs> install these microchips and crazy crazy things into the into the brain or whatever, um, yeah. and. <laughs> Um, yeah, and there's, there's not really any, well, anything about the safety or anything. I think it's like, it's like the, the, they're, they're following the same kind of pharmaceutical model and it's kind of like an intervention type approach, right? Like, I mean, when, when you take a pharmaceutical, it's basically forcing the body into a state that it wouldn't normally be in and forcing it to do things that it wouldn't normally do. And that seems to be the same kind of approach they're going with these electroceuticals. Like they're, they'll put, um, you know, a microchip on the nerve to kind of force it to fire, you know, when it's not firing. So it's like they can find a way to, to, to kind of uh, circumvent what's, what's already going on by kind of forcing the firing of a, of a nerve. Um, and it's kind of like not, they're never, they never seem to be interested in the, in the root cause of the problem. Just like, oh, something's going wrong, so we're just going to jerry-rig it so that it works better. 
And it's like, it's, 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 I, I find that it's a, a kind of a frustrating approach because, you know, I think this other camp you're talking about, Elliot, is like, you know, they, they're, they're getting much more down to the root cause of the problem and, and, and kind of helping the body to kind of correct itself and understanding that there is a, like a kind of an innate intelligence to the body and that if something's going wrong, then you need to kind of look at what that is and where that's coming from as opposed mm-hmm. to like just, uh, forcing, um, the body to do what you in all your wisdom believe it should be doing. Sure. But that's not to say, of course, that they, they won't get good results because they very well might. But I, I just kind of think that their their approach seems to be typically um, short-sighted. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the pharmaceutical companies is GlaxoKlein-Smith. GSK. So they've already yeah. been spending millions, and they were working on one that was, uh, and this is back in 2013, for uh, diabetes and obesity and, you know, basically implanting technology that would block nerve signals connecting to the brain and stomach so people would feel less hungry. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, like you were yeah, that sounds like a good idea. nerve yeah. a lot. Yeah. So if you stimulate the vagus nerve, it'll make fat people feel like they're full after they've eaten a meal, and uh, they'll eat less and lose weight. But there was a question in our chat about uh, the movie and the device that uses the clips on the earlobes. Um, they were, it was kind of like a cranial electrical stimulation, and they put the clips on the earlobes, and they said that it treated pain, anxiety, depression insomnia and certain symptoms of PTSD. So that's what they were getting good results on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so what it is it's it's a device that basically um uh, you know, it clips to the earlobes and um and it delivers like a very 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 small microcurrent. Um and and they showed that there's there's a decrease of delta waves in in the brain. Um, which are responsible for things like sleepiness and stuff. And there was an increase in uh, alpha waves. So people using this specific device um, would feel alert, yet they would also feel relaxed. Um, Do they know know what they're doing? Like they were actually trying to stimulate those specific waves in the brain with this clips? Sorry, Gabby? Do they know what they're doing? Like... Do they actually were trying to stimulate specific brain waves with these uh, clips or earlobes? Well, well, from what what I took from it was that um, they used biofeedback, um, so they they would test various frequencies. Um, and you see, I'm not too sure about how biofeedback actually works. Um, but I think that they claimed that through the process of like biofeedback and neurofeedback, um, they would be able to pinpoint specific frequencies which had specific effects. Um, and so they, they touched upon the, the typical lock and key receptor type uh, theory that's common in biology. And it's basically that so you have various chemicals floating around and um and neurotransmitters which are basically responsible for um specific actions in the body and that the the common idea is that you have um a lock which is a part of a cell which is like a receptor and you have a key 
So a specific neurotransmitter may fit a maybe a specific shape so that when that neurotransmitter or chemical is released, it fits into the receptor site like a lock and key does, and then it opens that cell up. But they, you know, they, they were saying on the documentary, um, and, you know, I completely agree that that, <laughs> that whole theory is just completely ludicrous because <laughs> like to, to say that it's, it's because of it, it's a specific shape. I mean, one, it doesn't really make sense. And two, um, it's, it turns out that the body is just way more complicated than that. Um, so what they actually show is that the, the way that that phenomena probably works is via um, resonance. So to do like a, a cell and then a receptor site, um, they will be resonate. They will be uh, vibrating at a specific frequency. And when those frequencies be begin to um, become sort of entrained with one another, you get a phenomena called resonance. Um, and so that's capable of, of basically transferring energy over long distances. And so um, via this molecular resonance that they, they posit that that is likely how this this um, uh, lock and key system actually works is through the vibration of the of the atoms rather than um, one shape fitting into another shape um, and so I think the idea is that by inducing this micro current uh, via the earlobes what you're essentially doing is you're um, you're introducing a specific frequency which can um, oscillate or become resonant with um other areas of the brain other other areas of the nervous system which are um responsible for feelings of anxiety and depression and 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 sort of these kinds of things and so i think mm -hmm. that what they were saying was that instead of taking um anti-pain medication which has a similar action by say blocking a certain chemical from being released they do the same thing, but by resonating with the frequency of the, the receptor. So, mm -hmm. so that the, so that it's, I, th I think that's what I took from it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They I use the, the, um, the example of tuning forks. Like you have two tuning forks that are tuned to the same frequency. And if you hit one in proximity to the other one, the other one will start vibrating. And it's kind of the same idea that like these, uh, neurochemicals or whatever they happen to be, whatever substance it is, will kind of is just naturally resonating at a certain frequency and that the receptor will be tuned to that same frequency. So rather than it actually having to physically make contact, it's just the frequency is enough to kind of um, activate it. It's this, kind of like sound goes, therapy. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like some of those more beneficial applications mm -hmm. of electroceuticals. Yeah. Like light therapy and grounding and even infrared saunas. Because those were listed as like the more positive aspects <laughs> of electroceuticals. Yeah, this re uh, reminds me of uh, Rife, uh, Royal, Royal Rife. I don't know if our listeners are familiar yeah. with him uh, in the 30s. He was born in the late 1800s, but in the, in the 20s and 30s, he was developing uh, technology that was very similar to this. And I just uh, pulled this up, but he's right. It says Rife claimed to have documented a mortal oscillatory rate for various pathogen pathogenic organisms, and to be able to destroy the organisms by vibrating them at this particular rate. And that was published in 1938. 
So it's yeah. similar approach to this technology without, you know, necessarily like a deep technical understanding of what's actually going on. And again, it's on the time. outside of the body. Yeah. It's just right. clips on the ears. It's not implanted in your brain. Yeah. Same thing with Rife. Uh, he had uh, basically like uh, coils that you would either sit next to or you would direct some sort of a frequency at a point on the body. Yeah, it's, it's also similar to, um, uh, what is it called, bioresonance, whereby some practitioners claim to be able to use certain devices to sort of target parasites and pathogens. Because he's getting hacked. Your frequency is not coming through well just now. <laughs> You've been hacked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, try oh, reconnecting, yeah. Elliot. Isan kind of, yeah. Which leads me to the question: Is this technology safe? Why? What if the, a hacker can, you know, buy a hacker or something? Sure. You mean like well, maybe the ones one? that are outside of the body can have some safe applications, like with the device that they were talking about in the documentary that we watch. The only side effect that people reported was a headache, and that was mild and time limited so it went away yeah. after a while and if the headache you know they could readjust the frequency and the headache could go away so that's the only side effect they reported with that there, particular device there are uh there are network enabled implantable devices like the diabetes uh it's an insulin regulator uh that's yeah. implanted and that will um send data uh from the device to you know, a, a network uh, so that the parents or people at school can get that data on their on their phone or tablet or whatever, so that you can monitor mm -hmm. the child's condition. So, uh, you know, Jeez. I'm sure. I, I mean, I'm sure that they at least spent some time on security protocols for that. But you know, but everything has areas that have yet to be discovered. So, uh, yeah, it certainly I think would be possible, at least possible, at some point for people to you know, malicious people to figure out how to hack network-enabled devices like that. Yeah, if, if that takes helicopter parenting to a new level. Monitor <laughs> yeah. your kids' insulin levels uh, throughout yeah. the day. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I'm of two minds doctor, about it. I mean, you want to have 24-hour access to what is going on in the molecules of your patient's body. <laughs> no, yeah. but I know that I know that a lot of people are hooked on that. Like they're they they have all these apps and technologies and they monitor glucose levels, how many steps it takes through the day, um how does it how many calories they're consuming, how much energy they're spending while they do exercise. They're obsessed with all this information and all these charts that I don't know if you know, they know what to do with it. Well, I'm, mm. I'm of two minds a little about this. Like specifically, if a child has type one diabetes, it's like if if a, I personally am of the mind that you could treat that in different ways. Just personally, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but I understand that you know where parents would be coming from if they're not aware of any kind of alternative treatments. Like, yeah, I want to keep an eye on my my kids insulin levels especially if they're type 1 mm -hmm. where it's you know dangerous so i can see the motivation and see where they're coming from but it certainly is on that path towards you know implantable tracking chips essentially well do we want yeah. to play a, a a clip more on electroceuticals and then we can get into some of the more nefarious applications <laughs> yeah. sounds good okay 
From the Financial Times in London, I'm Andrew Ward and this is FT News. It's been described by enthusiasts as the next great frontier in medical science. The potential to harness the natural electronic signals of the nervous system to treat diseases. Some people call this bioelectronics, others prefer electroceuticals. Either way, it's an exciting concept. And I'm here with Clive Cookson, the FT science editor, to discuss the possibilities it's opening. So, Clive, this sounds like science fiction. How realistic is this idea? It really is beginning to happen. Until now, drug companies and medical science has really worked with chemistry and biology, interfering with the biochemical pathways in the body. It's now becoming possible, I think for the first time, to interfere with the electrical signals. And what's given credibility is one big drug company, GlaxoSmithKline. GSK has really hung its colours to the mast of electroceuticals or bioelectronics and launched quite an ambitious research programme. At the same time, various government labs, particularly in the US, have. There's DARPA, the Pentagon's Futuristic Science Agency, and also the National Institutes of Health. They've got a programme in this area. And between them, they're putting a couple of hundred million dollars in. So give us some examples of their work. Well, what's perhaps surprising is when you think about bioelectronics, when I first heard about it, I thought they must be working with the brain. But most of this work is not with the brain or the central nervous system. They're working with what's called the peripheral nervous system, which pervades the body. There's an information superhighway going from the tips of your toes to the tops of your scalp. Lots and lots of nerves there. And everything that happens in the body depends on the peripheral nervous system. And a lot of the work is with those peripheral nerves. As I understand it, there is a key element of the nervous system called the vagus nerve. It's been described as the communication superhighway of the body. Explain how that fits into bioelectronic. Yes, the vagus nerve is the archetypal peripheral nerve. It's the longest nerve in the body. It connects various organs like the digestive system to the brain. And the idea is that if you interfere with those signals, you may be able to cure some quite unexpected things like, for example, metabolic disease, digestive disorders. Also, the vagus nerve is involved in inflammatory responses. It might even be possible to interfere with the process that leads to rheumatoid arthritis instead of giving chemical drugs. Now, GlaxoSmithKline and others are really just at the stage of basic science and animal experiments. There are a few um, examples of bioelectronics in the body. I mean, the most ancient is the heart pacemaker, but I think the vast majority of this is still to come, and GSK is saying maybe into the clinic around 2020. So given the development times, I guess we're looking 15 years ahead before this really flourishes. One of the biggest challenges for traditional pharmaceuticals has been breaching the blood-brain barrier, getting medicines into the brain to treat neurological conditions. Could electroceuticals have an advantage over pharmaceuticals in their ability to penetrate the brain and to treat anything from migraines to perhaps even depression? Very much so, yes. There's a distinction between invasive implants, which you'll actually put some sort of electronic device into the brain, 
requiring surgery. But I think the biggest hope is that it'll be possible to modulate brain activity through the scalp with various electromagnetic devices. That's certainly very promising for hard-to-treat psychiatric and mental conditions. We've seen some very exciting examples in the past couple of years of, for the first time, the brain being able to communicate with prosthetic limbs. That's another example of bioelectronics, isn't it? Yes, bioelectronics could transform the lives of people with severe handicaps. It is possible on a simple, primitive scale already to decode the brain waves sufficiently to get either a robotic arm or, under some circumstances, your own limb to move. Those movements are very, very limited, but it's moving ahead fast, this field. And it's going to also make it possible, I think, there's a race in treating spinal injuries between the biological treatments, stem cells and so on, getting the spine and its nerves to regrow, and bioelectronics, which will bypass the break in the spine and send an instruction from the brain to the limbs. So... Do we need to have implanted devices that are delivering the electronic signals or pulses to the nerves, or could you imagine handheld devices delivering pulses from outside the body? That would certainly be cheaper than implants, less invasive. I think one of the greatest hopes is for sort of smart skin that you'd stick on the outside of the body, which would give these electromagnetic impulses. But I have to say that there is a danger already that people promising too much are going to ride on the backs of this. There's a lot of hype, particularly about the magnetic stimulation you can give from outside the brain. And people are selling things that claim to do some of these bioelectronic miracles, but aren't really doing them well. What about the use of bioelectronics to potentially enhance the body, to enhance our physical or cognitive abilities? You can see the possibilities, can't you, Clive? You certainly can. And one field in which this is going to be a big issue is sports doping. Think what enhancements you could obtain as an athlete through bioelectronics. And with really miniaturised devices, sort of nano-electronics, it might be quite hard to spot. And what about cyber security? If we start to bring together medicine and electronics, is there a cyber security risk here? Could we uh, see the spectre of body hacking? Yes, it's something that the developers of the hardware, and obviously particularly the software, will have to bear in mind. I mean, like a lot of this conversation, it's quite a futuristic concern, but it's something that needs to be borne in mind as the technology moves forward, yes. Fascinating science, Clive, but lots of challenges and risks to consider as well. Thanks uh, very much for your insights. Thanks, Andrew. Okay. Thanks, Clive and Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) Well, I mean, that certainly sounded like some, some beneficial kind of applications for it, particularly in cases of, like, paralysis or where there's been, um, you know, nerve severing or something like that, or somebody using this kind of stuff to power like a, some kind of animatronic limb or something like that if they've lost a limb and they've got a prosthetic. I can see that yeah. that would be a beneficial thing. But there's been a lot of talk about this over the years and a lot of research into it. And like he said in the mm. clip we just listened to, there's a lot of hype going yeah. on with some of these claims. And so far, they haven't really been able to produce anything that really works. 
I don't think they know enough about how the brain works in order to interpret those brain waves and actually make them into a functioning limb for somebody mm. that does yeah. all the things that a regular human limb could do, like moving your fingers with such fine motor movement, things like yeah. that. I don't think they really have enough knowledge. It might be fun to play around with, and it gives a lot of people hope, but so far, they haven't really come up with anything useful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like they're, I mean, it has the potential to be quite revolutionary, right? I mean, mm -hmm. understanding electricity in the body is something that the medical establishment needs to wrap their head around. But I think, Doug, the, made you, the point you made earlier is, is apropos that... Uh, they're just going to continue using kind of the brute force magic pill approach. Mm. Yeah. And that seems like it, where it would deviate. Well, yeah. speaking of I, magic pills, they already have those on the pipeline too. Micro trip chipping drugs, like yeah. uh, blood pressure drugs. Like when they come into contact with the stomach acid, they start sending out these electronic signals and it can give your doctor real time information about what is going on in your body. And it can also alert your doctor whether you are being compliant with taking your medications. As it, it turns out that uh, these drug companies are complaining that they lose a lot of money because people are non-compliant with taking all doses of their medications every single day. So they want to mm. make sure that these patients are taking all of their pills all the time every day so they can, you know, stay in the red. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see that, too, that information getting passed on to, say, like health insurance companies or something like that, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, you didn't take all your pills last month, so your premium's going up. Totally. Yep. That was my thought, too. But there was or this other like scenario where they raised where, like, if you go in for an interview, they can scan you and see if you're taking any medications. And they can and say, no, we're not going to hire you. You're too sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the police hacking into it as well and finding mm -hmm. what medications you are if you're driving under the influence of medication. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even take into account, like, what is in the smart pills anyway. Like, it has to have some kind of powering device, like a battery or something. And should you be swallowing those toxic substances? <laughs> right. That's a good question. There's probably a whole host of heavy metals and other mm -hmm. toxic crap in there. And yeah, you know, it's just in a pill, but if you're taking, you know, taking several a day, every day, it's going to add up. There was a, there was one article which spoke about um, these RFID kind of um, chips that what they're saying is that the idea is in the future is that some pharmaceutical pills will um, will have like a barcode on them. But it will be actually, it will be nanotechnology. So what, so what they, they do is they basically take a, take apart the building blocks, take apart like the DNA of a specific thing, um, and then sort of reconstitute that in a certain specific cons configuration, which means that it's identifiable. Um, and they say that it's, it's, it's essentially going to be like a barcode. So when, um, so when someone has consumed all of these pills, um, that that barcode, that identifiable configuration of the of the um, of the substance, actually stays in the body. Um, and then what can happen is is that when that person is 
say they get sick and they go to the hospital, then the doctor um, can like scan them and and see all of the barcodes that are, that are in their body to see what drugs they've taken in the past. Um, but well. <laughs> you know, this is this is nanotechnology, so. We've spoken about it on, on the show before, but this is essentially scientists building a specific chemical building block, uh, which doesn't exist in nature anywhere. So the body actually has no way of knowing um, what to do with this thing. Uh, and so it's been shown the nanotechnology, you know, nanoparticles are in like sunscreen and are in a couple other things. And they cross the blood-brain barrier. The the brain has literally no idea what this foreign substance is, because um, I guess it's never come across it ever before in history. Um, and so this 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 stuff is really kind of scary. Um, and I don't know if I I, don't, I personally don't even know if it'll get to that point because people are getting so sick now that I mean when you start introducing like mass mass levels of nanoparticles, I mean I. I don't even know if people will survive that, you know. Yeah. Or if mm-hmm. they neg- negatively interact with each other. So it, it, nanoparticles are in even clothing mm-hmm. to resist sweat, you know. They're in – it's just – so how would they all co- come together? Would it be like a chemical – toxic cocktail situation well, that's what it is now they don't really know <laughs> like people yeah. are taking eight medications 15 medications a day they don't know how these drugs interact with each other and it'll be the same thing with nano drugs too yeah but if big pharma wants to get their hands into the game that's probably the route that they will take because i don't see them making a lot of money on outside devices that you put in once and you can charge for once mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. taking pills over a lifetime which is a constant money stream. Well, maybe it'll be like an app that you have to pay a monthly <laughs> to have. Yeah, that's or, probably how they'll do. We're getting into the uh, like the cyberpunk kind of territory. I don't know if our mm-hmm. listeners are familiar with like uh, uh, William Gibson or Neil Stevenson, like um, mm-hmm. the cyberpunk authors uh, who were kind of the basis for like, if you want to be super general about it, like The Matrix or Johnny Mnemonic and that kind of, you know, very like tech based nanotechnology kind of thing or kind of story. I mean, but they, you know, I remember in one of Neil Stevenson's books, they had uh, prisoners who would be implanted with these nanobots. And if they deviated from the, they could like live in the world, but if they did anything wrong or deviated from their set course, the nanobots would kill them. They would disintegrate their organs and they would just die on the spot. Mm. Yeah. They did so, that, a show really. on that in the X-Files too. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's no, sci-fi but you know how how long is it going to be fi the fi part of sci-fi yeah well, there's already some government researchers who want to create super soldiers who don't need to sleep as much and you know they can just be super soldiers on the field and kill as many people as possible mm-hmm. well, well I was oddly enough it, one of the main uh um Contributor uh, funders of this electroceutical um, technology is DARPA. Yeah. I mean, they're one of the the big, you know, the, the, there's a big push coming from them to uh, to kind of get this stuff uh, up and running. Um, you know, obviously for the benefits for the soldiers, and uh, you know, I'm sure there's all kinds of other clandestine kind of uh, purposes for it as well. Yeah, they have the the electro 
electrical prescription initiative called Elect RX. So yeah, Mm -hmm. DARPA's invested $79 million in that, which doesn't seem like a lot when you think about this type of money. But one of the things they're doing is this, um, it's called Targeted Neuroplasticity Training Program. And it is straight out of the matrix. Basically, they want to hack your brain so you can learn faster. <laughs> okay, I think he likes uh. it. <laughs> so, so one of their, their end goals is to, um, you know, it's military training regimes, but basically, um, you know, getting a soldier to soak up a new language in months instead of years. But some of the research is showing that they only have like a 30% rate of actually acquiring that information so is it worth it to have a chip planted in your brain to learn only 30 percent faster and what are the the side effects of something like that i could see a lot of biohackers signing up for that oh yeah i was just gonna say that doesn't necessarily sound i think that's how they initially get people on board with it they make it seem like really cool and convenient like cell phones were touted sure. when they first came out and then people say oh i want this and next thing you know we're all there yeah yeah well they, i mean it, all of the journalists and grad students and everybody who takes adderall right now is going to be nuts about this you uh-huh. i can take a pill and yeah. stay up for three days and then repair everything you know yeah wow. yeah it, i kind of think um uh with some with an agency like darpa i think you know they they probably claim that it's for specific things, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's people behind the scenes who have other things in mind, <laughs> you know, mm. like how mm. you can render a population, uh, you know, a mass of people that little bit more apathetic or that little bit more agreeable or, you know, I mean, it could be used for, I mean, if you know, if you get to the point where you can train the brain to learn faster, um then I'm sure there's a whole load of other things that you already know how to do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I or dread to think. Set so. the brain off. And turn people into yeah. Cool yeah. idiots. Yeah. Or if they don't, yeah. if they go out and protest, this is another thing that DARPA has been researching. Like how can they use non-lethal weapons to make people not go out into the streets and protest and make them more agreeable. So <laughs> if somebody is, you know, going up against the government, you can just hack into their chip and make them do what you want to do. I mean, they've already created like uh, bugs or mice. Cockroaches. Yeah, that they can control, remote control, and make them do what they want to do. Well, I yeah. find it interesting that the acronym is TNT. So it's basically <laughs> TNT for your brain. <laughs> well, I see too, like on the on the sci-fi, maybe not fiction part of things. Like if you look at it from, so there's kind of the tinfoil hat conspiracy angle. Uh, which I'm into, but I don't claim to, you know, that all of it is true, of course. But, you know, like that, the, you know, they can, they, the nebulous kind of, they can track you wherever you go. I think a lot of that is possible. But on the more, like, uh, day-to-day aspect of things, like, I think there are some police departments they have, like, uh, or states that have RFID chips in their license plates. So when the cop pulls you over, they can see, like, where you're at with your insurance and everything without putting your information in manually. Uh, mm-hmm. And I could see a point at which if you had like a chip, like an ID chip that also read your your body's signals, let's say if you have an encounter with the police, whether it's in your car or whatever, they get like an immediate medical readout of where you're at, where your blood pressure's at, like what kind of drugs yeah. you might be on, 
or prescriptions or whatever, you know, uh, tracking data where you've been in the last couple hours, all that would like instantly come up that from a tech slash like government perspective makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, to me it's frightening, but you know, if you look at it procedurally and like practically, that's where they're going to go. Well, and you can see that too with corporations being on board because right now you, you know, go to the grocery store and you have a little card and it tracks everything that you buy Mm -hmm. and then you're targeted for buying certain products. Yeah. Mm. But then you wouldn't, it wouldn't be on your keychain anymore. It'd just be in your body. Mm. Well, they have that now with cell phones too. Mm -hmm. You can pay for stuff with your cell phones and get targeted ads. Well, even online, like just looking, I look at a page on Amazon and uh, next thing I know, I've got Facebook ads for that product. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, what's going on there? What a coincidence. Yeah, well, that's, that's yeah, they totally, they share data uh, in that regard. Same thing with your emails. If you, uh, on Gmail, if you write an email to someone, um, I mean, forget privacy completely, but it, you can uh, you can see ads popping up about stuff that you wrote about in the email. Um <sighs> I encourage anybody with Gmail to try this with something weird that you wouldn't normally expect to see an ad for. Wow. And soon it'll be if you've got a brain implant, then as soon as you have a thought about something, next thing you know, all all the ads on your computer are suddenly (laughs) geared towards that. It will be. There's a Futurama episode about that. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's going to create a mental junk filter for you. Exactly. Well, it quite... It kind of seems like you can you can rely on Hollywood um, to sort of uh, to theorize what's going to happen over the next twenty years. It seems mm-hmm. like looking back throughout the movies, uh, yeah, in the really old movies, you have like televisions and computers, and they're all really old fashioned and stuff. But when we, people were watching that, of course, I'm not old enough to remember this. But I've spoke to people and they said that when they were watching these things, they were amazed. They were like, oh, my God, you know, this is sci-fi and this is so cool and stuff. And then a couple of years down the line, that happens. And it's the case – it seems to be the case with a lot of things. So now in the movies, they've, they've stepped up that one notch. Like you just said, in Futurama, they've got this idea that, you know – um, of the brain microchip and stuff, and there's there seems to be a lot of the holographic um, technology that 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 can sort of uh, uh, link in with the brain, and so your eyes can just see. Say you 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 think a certain thing, and then your eyes like can like the Google glasses, but it's in, yeah. inside your brain almost. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. you know it kind of seems like maybe <laughs> I mean this is highly speculative, maybe not the be the case but maybe you know maybe a lot of this technology has somewhat already um is in the pipeline but we're just not necessarily told about it and then you know maybe it's fed through uh for popular sort of mass consumption years sure. down the line when when it's been refined already sure well they already well, have like, we'll get uh, yeah it's thing. like it's like that clip from that we just played. You know, the the Financial Times came out with an article saying that GlaxoSmithKline came right out and said that their challenge is to integrate the work in brain, computer interfaces, material science, nanotechnology, micropower generation, all to provide therapeutical benefit. <laughs> <laughs> so they came right out and said it. 
<laughs> well, there's a bunch of tech billionaires already that wish to upload their brains into the cloud or have chips that can allow their brains to control the Internet or control computers or TVs or their phones or whatever. But what was that movie that came out some years ago with Bruce Willis where they pretty much had real human bodies and they just laid down in some device and then they sent their avatar out to live their lives for them and go to work it will will come to me i know no it's not (laughs) avatar it's called it was uh, i'm forgetting but i can see it in my mind yeah (laughs) fifth element (laughs) no no no. it wasn't surrogates yeah surrogates i think it was called creepy creepy Well, they, um, to your point, Tiff, that, yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ray Kurzweil. He's a technologist, uh, you know, guy that talks a lot about like new technologies and, and where they should go. And he's like an influence shaper, I guess. Um, I saw a lecture of, of his, like in person, went to his lecture. And I, so I heard him say from his own mouth that he wanted his phone in his brain. He's like, this is incredible technology. I want it in my brain and I want it to do everything. Like, It was just like, whoa, dude. What he doesn't understand is that the brain is much, much, much more complicated and much more sophisticated than a mobile phone. I mean, like, your brain is so much better than a mobile phone. You've got, like, a million mobile phones in your brain at any one given time. You don't need – I mean, like, if you look at – you compare a mobile phone and its processing capacity compared to the human brain. I mean, the human brain is – it's undisputed. It's like one. Of the, it's like the most complex thing that we know about. You know, so yeah. we, that's such a dumb, dumb thing that that guy said. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just a, so. It's such a materialist view of things too. It's like you know, the idea that um, you know all there is to us are these kind of like wires and connections, and you can imitate that with a computer. So therefore, my consciousness could be uploaded to a computer. It's like it's such. A, it just. There's no understanding of actual consciousness there at all. It's just this yeah. completely materialist view of everything. And it's like, yeah, you know, I'd still be me. I would just be wandering around on, on the Internet. It's like, right. no, I, I don't think it works that way. No. <laughs> but that's how they'll get a lot of people. But then on the other hand, they'll say it's for safety. Like they passed this bill called the HR 4919 or Devin and Avante's law. And they give law enforcement the ability to track people like Alzheimer's patients or kids with developmental disabilities who kind of wander off from from where they're supposed to be. And uh, there's no restrictions on including other people in this bill. So law enforcement can track the Alzheimer's and developmentally disabled people. But I'm sure in the future, there'll also be, you know, a provision for them to track anybody else that might have a chip for whatever reason. Well, and it's already being accepted because... It's in animals. It's in your dog. If your dog runs away and gets picked yeah. up by the, the pound, all they have to do is run a little scanner, and there it is, and its name and its telephone number and <laughs> how to find it. Yeah, yeah There's well, a big push, push to do it for kids, too, mm-hmm. to have yeah. your kids chipped so that if they ever get kidnapped, oh, that, no problem. We got them chipped. Or if you're a teenager, <laughs> sneak out of the house at night and you can find them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can monitor their insulin to make sure they're not eating cookies. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what this will do, too, to, like, the uh, – so we know how there's been an increase in, in stress because of the style of work that we've kind of moved towards, and most especially, I think, in, like, tech fields. 
Um, and I work in tech myself and I was thinking about this, like I can already, I'm, I'm already almost to the point where I don't need my computer. I, I only need a phone or a tablet. Like I can mm-hmm. do just about everything short of actual, like writing of code or using Photoshop or anything like that, um, on my phone. And so, you know, it's a logical progression. If you look at the way just technology kind of has its own steam and moves forward, that this is going to move into the body. And then I, I can see a point where people will be working all the time. You know, you might like, uh, it, the way you already do with your phone, you know, if like, if you work and you use your phone that way, you may be at a restaurant and you have it on and you get, you reply to a quick work email, you know, take that and magnify it by like continuously in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I could see it going that way to the point where like people would start to, you know, die from the stress which they kind of do already. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of people already who think that, oh, I can't live without my cell phone. You know, I can't function. I can't interact with society. So will it ever get to a point where people without a chip or people with a chip will say, oh, I can't function without my chip. Mm-hmm. I need it to function in society. And people who don't have a chip are pretty much out of the loop. Totally. Yeah. And, and the awesome thing in those people's minds is that you never lose your chip. Or flush it down the toilet. Always have it. And think about how distracted people are with like with their cell phones. Imagine if that was embedded in their heads. Like nobody Mm -hmm. would ever be paying attention to each other at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Staring out into space all the time. All the time. Self-driving cars. Zombies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And then you would just get routine upgrades, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay, they'll switch off. Your chip. TNT for the yeah. Bill Bill Burr, the comedian Bill Burr does a bit about that where like in the future you guys be drinking together and you don't want to badmouth the government because they'll turn your chip off and then you can't buy more drinks. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that film with Justin Timberlake in. I think it's called In Time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched yeah, that recently. What? Yeah, I thought that I thought that was like a, a really good depiction of how I could see it possibly manifesting in the future in, in some way. Like these, every, everyone has like a timer. It's like a a, a clock that's counting down on their yeah, wrist. They live to and, twenty-five, and then after twenty-five, everything you do, like if you work, you get time added on to your whatever is in their body. They transfer time to each other by putting their mm. wrists together. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. So time a, is currency in that movie, that was a good pretty movie. much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then if someone kind of steps out of line, they can just take all of your time off you, and you've got like 10 minutes to live. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so I, guess, yeah. I guess it wouldn't work like time, but I guess you could see they could shut down your internal organs. You know, you had a microchip, uh, you know, next to your heart yeah. or something, and then it was set to release a specific toxin or something like that, or a frequency that basically just completely fried all of your internal organs. I mean, Correct. I could imagine that, you know, if it got to the point, then they could technically do that to, to someone who was kind of stepping out of line. Well, in the 60s, they were trying to, uh, and it's legit documented, trying to figure out how to give uh, Castro cancer, you know, that would grow in like five days. Um, so you can bet for sure they're trying to figure out or have figured out how to assassinate people with nanotechnology, you know, mm-hmm. from like a military operational point of view. 
Well, so. one interesting thing, which is a little less speculative, is the um, uh, courtesy of Bill and Melinda Gates, the um, uh. birth control chip. So, yeah, yeah this uh, this kind of implantable chip that um, I think it's, uh, it, it has like hormones in it um, and it will secrete those hormones kind of a little bit at a time. And it uh, makes you completely infertile. So, you know, of course, they're probably going to promote this as uh, something, you know, you never have to worry about remembering your birth control pill mm. because it's already in you. But the thing is, is that, you know, you're basically just giving your fertility over to somebody else because it can be uh, deactivated from outside. But mm. who do you have to go to see to, to be able to get that done? And of course, it's they're testing it in like in It's encrypted. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's not even get into the hacking aspect, which they say, of course, is impossible. It can't be hacked. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it just seems really, really creepy to me. Like, you know, well, you have to go this, to your doctor uh, and petition to have a baby. There's this academic or professor in New Zealand that says that all teenage girls should just be chipped just as a matter of course. And then once they get above a certain age, you can turn the chip off and then they can have hmm. babies. Well, they even started applying the same kind of theory years ago with the Norplant birth control device, mm. which was basically just like a little tiny rod that they planted in a woman's arm that uh, provided birth control for five years. And I think it mm. fell out of popularity because there were so many side effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and of course, they're going to be testing this on um, in African countries and in India on poor populations. Yeah. You know, it, it just, it's so creepy because it just goes back to the whole, like, you know, Bill Gates already has this kind of reputation among, like, alts, uh, do, well, maybe more of the tinfoil hat wearer types or something that he's super into the idea of population control. And then he turns around and starts developing this. It's like, you're not doing anything <laughs> for your image here. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's all just very I think he just banks crazy. on the people, that, the fact that most people don't know. Yeah. yeah. That, that, you know, what he what he's actually doing. It's a really, really fascinating moral argument, I think, talking about birth control and like and eugenics, like what you know what they're shooting for. Because on uh, on one hand, we do have too many people on the planet, but the solution is not you know eugenics and birth control. I think you know that's a psychopathic solution. Uh, so, but it's hard to talk about because then somebody would say like, well, don't we have too many people? Yeah, but you're doing it wrong. I feel like you know. Uh, you can't violate free will that way, but uh, mm. you know the the better solution would be to you know educate people about how to establish a family responsibly or something like that. You know, I don't know, but I I, I find that whenever I think about this, I come up against uh, that I, I I do feel like the planet is overpopulated, um, but of course you know the people who have evil intentions are going to take that and run with it. But is it really overpopulation or is it just a problem with distribution of the resources? That's a really good point, too. Yeah, cities are crazy. Cities are absolutely crazy, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Stefan Verstappen would would uh, wouldn't agree with that, Jonathan. I think, you know, in one of his videos, I'm not sure uh, whether it was the calculations were correct, but he uh i think he said that all of the people in the world could live with like a couple of acres of land just on the landmass of texas is that right oh, yeah, one of his videos yeah 
Yeah, so he, he apparently, I, I don't know if it was everyone in the US or if it was <laughs> everyone on, on planet Earth, but he apparently did some calculation, which he, yeah, did. I guess it's a debatable topic, isn't it? It, it, yeah, it's weird. I mean, we're we're certainly displacing and misusing resources, and that's a whole other topic. So I didn't mean to get into population control. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I guess if um, you know, I, I don't need to equivocate. I think what Gates is doing and what they're approaching is uh, is psychopathic. So I don't want to equivocate about that. I think that that approach is definitely psychopathic uh, because you know, yeah, they're experimenting on uh, poor, you know. Uh, mostly indigenous populations, people have absolutely no choice or recourse or, you know, if they give them a dollar, you know, they'll sign up for a potentially deadly experiment. Um, it's very nefarious. And ultimately they're breaching people's free will. And then yes. you're going to have the people who voluntarily give up their free will by signing up for some kind of chip or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think the difference between these implantable devices and you know, something that's outside of your body. Like with something outside of your body, if you go to a, a doctor's office and you're getting treated the regular way for pain or whatever, they're not going to say, oh, we have this special TENS unit or this light therapy or whatever to help you treat your pain. I mean, most cases you have to go out looking for that and searching for it and doing the hard work in order to find something, some alternative to help you. And that's putting in effort. But with these implantable devices, it's like you're expecting something for free without putting any effort into it. You just want something for nothing. Mm-hmm. Like you want to be super smart or you want this or that or, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm explaining myself well, but it just, I think that's the difference between the good side and the bad side. Yeah. That's of this technology. Mm-hmm. That speaks, I think, back to yeah. what Doug said too about the, uh, the, the, magic pill sort of approach where they, they brute force target something instead of looking at what's underlying. Mm-hmm. You know. And in a lot of these cases, they can be addressed in other ways, like through yeah. diet or, you know, lifestyle. yoga or yeah. yeah, other kind of lifestyle changes. And they're just trying to go in and just intervene on the cellular level and they really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I mentioned earlier that I thought you know, the technique that we were talking about might be potentially dangerous, not because you're getting hit with a bunch of voltage because it's like a microcurrent, right? But Mm. simply because they don't really know what they're doing, you know, and what if you set something off that is going to cause an aneurysm in five years? You know, I don't know. Is that even possible? I don't know. Or it could activate some latent DNA or something that maybe shouldn't be activated. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, you know it's kind of like um, what's the word? Uh, it's a dodgy game. Yeah. <laughs> That's Just not the word it. I was looking for. But yeah, <laughs> maybe uh, the dawn of the, uh, the, the X Men. This is how we're going to get X Men. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like uh, it's like I think people should tread very finely um, when they research this kind of stuff because. I think it's really important that researchers don't fall into this sort of um, arrogant mindset that they probably, I mean, most of them already hold, but that that they think that they understand how the human body works. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you can just jump in and manipulate something that's 
probably yeah. interconnected with every single thing else and is tightly regulated. And then you're jumping in and you implant some foreign object or whatever, or even even the use of exogenous microcurrents. You know, if you don't know exactly what you're doing, then it, there's always hidden dangers, you know, because we mm. don't understand how the human body works. And the thing I'd just like to say as well is that when we were in that, that documentary we were talking about before, um, they had some really, really fascinating researchers. Um, well, there was two in specific. I always talk about these two. <laughs> so you probably recognize the names. They're your heroes. Yeah, they I I personally, I mean, RIP, rest in peace, uh, May Won Ho, because she, she passed away maybe last year or the year before. But she, you know, I think she's done some absolutely fascinating work. And similar, similarly, um, Gerald Pollock, you know, he's he's really done some fascinating work as well. Um, but the, the recent, the, the documentary that we watched, um, it actually had those two on on there to be interviewed but it kind of missed out a lot of what they had to say i feel um yeah. they just kind of had the odd comment of oh yeah you know pharmaceutical industry is bad or or something but the thing the, the reason what i'm trying to say basically is that i think the documentary kind of missed the point because it was based on the idea that the electricity in the body is um is mostly ionic current in the nervous system and see, I feel like this completely misses the whole point um, because, you know, Gerald Pollock and Mei Wan Ho and all of these other researchers have conclusively shown that this is not the case. The nervous system is but one of uh, of many different electrical systems which are which make up the body, you know. And and so I think that if you were to to experiment or to research some of these um, these electrical therapies and stuff, you have to sort of enter it with with a more um, holistic mindset, with 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 a I guess a base of knowledge that takes into consideration all of the current evidence and not is merely focused on the nervous system. Because if you're you're providing some electrical stimulation to the nervous system, how you know, if you if you're not taking into consideration anything else, then how do you know that that is not going to have some some potentially negative effects on other tissues? So I'm not saying that that is the case with this stuff, because quite quite frankly, I mean, it, from from looking at the the evidence that they that they presented for their device, I thought that that was absolutely fascinating, and it seems like it's really kind of beneficial. Um, but, you know, with the pharmaceutical companies jumping on this idea, um, I really don't think they're going to take a holistic perspective. You know, they're renowned for looking at the body as a mechanical machine. And so really a lot of the, the treatments and therapies that they're going to come up with, I think, are going to sorely lack a lot of context and are very likely going to sort of um, potentially present some danger. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Well, it's a brave new world. <laughs> it's kind of an overused phrase, way. but it's, yeah, it's becoming more and more true. <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, that it would be a good time if you guys agree to go to uh, Zoya's segment for today. Uh, she's going to talk to us about microchipping in uh, pets and the, uh, the pros and the cons. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya 
and this week I'm going to share with you a recording on the topic of pet microchipping. Microchipping is a very controversial topic. Is there any good reason to microchip your pet at all? In some cases it's unavoidable. For example, if you want to travel with your pet abroad. So, if you're going to microchip your pet, better to be aware of all the pros and cons. Listen to the following explanation by Dr. Karen Becker. And have a great weekend and goodbye. Hello, this is Dr. Karen Becker, and today we're going to discuss microchips. This topic is courtesy of our Mercola.com subscribers, so thank you, and keep your suggestions coming. Today I have Krasno with me, who I'm going to use as a small demonstration. Um, Krasno is a kitty that lives with me, and um, he has not been microchipped. We're going to talk today about the pros and cons of microchipping, but first it's important for you to know what a microchip is. A microchip is a teeny tiny glass vial. It's about the size of a grain of rice, and it contains a radio transmitter, an antenna, and a computer chip with a 10-digit code on the chip. Microchips are not a GPS system, which means uh, you will not be able to radio track your pet if it has a microchip. You won't be able to look on a computer and identify where your pet has gone. The information contained in the microchip has to be picked up by a scanner, which means if a microchip is, in, is implanted in your cat or dog, there has to be a scanner used to be able to identify that 10-digit code. So, um, so what happens is uh, if you're interested in microchipping or if you've rescued a pet, most humane societies and rescue organizations in the United States will not let the, the cat or dog out of their sight until it's been spayed, neutered, or microchipped, and microchipped, actually. So the microchip goes between um, an animal's shoulder blades and... Absolutely, if you were to go to the microchipping sites, they're going to tell you it's basically painless. I brought one along to show you, and I will tell you that at my practice, we would never consider microchipping without some local anesthetic. Um, it's a 12-gauge needle. It's a really big, scary-looking needle. And the truth is, I wouldn't put this in anything I love without anesthetic. And I would recommend, if you're going to have a microchip done, that you demand to have an anesthetic because it's painful. It's a big needle. And um, the microchip is at the tip of this needle. And um, Krasno, like I said, does not have a microchip, but the microchip goes right between his shoulder blades. The skin is picked up, and the chip is implanted under the skin between the shoulder blades. So that poses some problems because on occasion, um, the microchip can begin to migrate. It can move. Oftentimes, the chip, um, most of the time, actually, the chip remains planted between the shoulder blades. But on occasion, the chip can migrate down under the shoulder blade. It can migrate up to the back of the neck. We found chips all the way down on the, on the bottom side of the belly, which means gravity took place. And instead of the chip adhering to the fascia, the underlying tissue under, under the kitty's skin, it can migrate down under uh, the skin to the belly. So what's important to recognize is if your pet has been microchipped and if you've never checked it, have your veterinarian or local humane society use a scanner and identify that it is in fact exactly where you think it is. Once you've identified where that chip is, sometimes you can feel it. It feels like a grain of rice under the skin. Once you can feel it, and if you can feel it, just on occasion, once a week or every two weeks, palpate it, touch it, and make sure that it doesn't feel any different. Needless to say, the big controversies surrounding microchips are, number one, are they necessary, and number two, are they safe? Well, what I will tell you is life is all about risk versus benefit. And the truth is, um, there are some animals that I do not believe, I think that their risk is greater uh, than the benefit microchipping, but there are some animals where the risk of not microchipping is tremendous because, um, uh, let's just say you adopted a one-year-old border collie from the Humane Society, doesn't know its name, 
every time the fence is cracked in your backyard, he's gone, he doesn't come back, he runs like crazy, you've gotten him back twice and you're nervous, that's a good candidate for microchipping because the chances are if he gets away from you a few more times, statistically, you will not retrieve that pet. The heartbreaking truth is, is that millions of animals escape every year or become separated from their owners and the truth is less than 10% are reunited. That's sad. But the success of a reunion occurs on two factors. Number one, if the, if the pet has a microchip, it has to be identified and scanned. And some humane societies don't have the appropriate scanners, and many veterinarians don't even own scanners. There are four types of, of chips that are approved in the United States, and unfortunately, there's not, there is a universal scanner, but most facilities don't have a universal scanner. So it depends on the type of chip that's implanted in your pet and the local facility who may acquire your pet uh, scanning it appropriately. We assume that the chip lies between the shoulder blades, but there again, it's really important that if your pet has undergone chip migration, that they're scanning shoulder blades, um, prescapular area, ventrum, sternum, that they're scanning the whole pet because chip migration does occur. Needless to say, the second factor that is dependent on a really good successful reunion is the fact that um, that that the pet has been registered through one of these four facilities. Each microchip has a registration system. And the biggest frustration, and this has happened at my practice several times, we're able to scan, we get a 10-digit code, we call the appropriate facility, and frustratingly, the number has been changed, person no longer lives there, and the, up, the information was not forwarded or updated. And so even though we have a pet that's been microchipped, they've been microchipped in vain. That brings about the second concern is whether microchips are safe. In that situation, if you can't commit to maintaining viable updated information, um, I would recommend that you not microchip your pet because in that situation, there's all the risks and none of the benefit. If your pets have been microchipped and you're not sure if your information is updated, please go to a facility, have your pet scanned and check with the appropriate agency and make sure that you're up to date. So at least if the, if the implant has already taken place, you can receive maximum benefit if unfortunately your pet ever were to become separated from you. What's really important in terms of risk is to recognize that anytime you put a foreign body or a foreign material in your pet, whether that's a glass bead in the form of a microchip, whether that's a synthetic tendon or ligament in a knee repair, whether that's a plate, a metal plate, or a steel rod for a fracture repair, there's the potential for the body to reject that particular foreign material, and a microchip is no different. So what happens in two documented cases in veterinary medicine is that sarcoma, or fibrosarcoma, two types of soft tissue tumors occurred at the site of injection. Now, two, um, in my opinion, is not very many, and the truth is I think that there have been many, many more that have not been honestly documented. Research shows that between 1996 and 2006, laboratory animals, specifically mice and rats, between 1 and 10% of implanted animals had some type of reaction ranging from a localized inflammatory response to tumor formation at the site of the injection. Needless to say, it's important to recognize that implantation of any foreign material in your pet's body is a risk. If you believe that your pet um, is safe in your home, you have an indoor house cat, you have a dog that is never far from you in terms of leash, you, not, you don't let your dog off leash, and most importantly, you've established a good relationship with your dog and an excellent recall, which means your dog knows its name and he comes when he's called, there's a very good chance that you do not need microchips and really the risk outweighs the benefit.
However, if you don't speak a lot of fluent dog, or your dog um, doesn't know come, or you open up the dog and hope that your dog, you open up the door and let your dog outside to go potty and hope your dog comes back, those are all high risk situations. First and foremost, I would recommend that you, that you reduce the likelihood of those scenarios happening because heartbreak can happen in just an instant. But if you are unwilling or unable to rearrange your lifestyle to, to not allow those particular instances to occur, then microchipping may be a possibility for you. It's important to recognize, however, that microchips carry the risk of uh, autoimmune reaction or a degenerative reaction where the immune systems become aggravated or chronically inflamed, which can lead to tissue de- tissue degeneration and abnormal cell growth or cancer at the site of implantation. So it's needless to say the decision of microchipping comes down to a very individualized um, decision based on really the environment that your pet's in, how much control you have on your pet, and then of course your pet's immune system. One good way that you can consider uh, marking your pet permanently without necessarily implantation under the skin is tattooing. And if you've not thought about tattooing, while the undermole, while your pet, your dog or cat is under for anesthesia, let's say for spay and neuter, your pet can permanently implant your phone number uh, on the inside of your pet's thigh. But it is important to recognize that phone numbers change. So this is a really hotly debated topic in veterinary medicine. You, it's really important that you weigh risk versus benefit. And above all, it's important that you're making wise decisions that fall into your perspective and lifestyle that allows you to be able to make the best decisions for the pets in your care. Well, thank you, Zoya. No, no chips in those goats. No. <laughs> there, I said it. Chip free. <laughs> <laughs> Got to come up with a new joke for the end of the show. I like that joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. That was our show for today. Thank you very much for everybody who listened and for our chat participants. Um, don't get chipped. Uh, yeah, don't get chipped. Yeah, no chipping. Just, uh, su- support your immune system <laughs> and, and try to be healthy. Uh, <laughs> so we will be back uh, next week. Make sure to listen to the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern time. Uh, go to radio.sot.net. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.